Hey, good morning. Uh, good morning to those worshiping with us online. I'm glad that you're here. If uh, you have a Bible on you, um, we are going to be, or you can look at it on your phone, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2, the book of Titus chapter 2. This will be the final sermon in our Evidence of Grace series. I hope you all have enjoyed this um, series as much as we've enjoyed preaching it, but this will be, this will be it as we celebrate Easter together next week. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 14. And this is uh, what God's Word says. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now I'm reading this, uh, these verses in the NIV. We normally use the ESV, so if the translation seems a little bit off, that's what it is. I like the way this reads in the NIV. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what's good. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I ask now for the anointing that is meant to come along with the call. Um, I believe you've called me to pastor, you've called me to preach, and so now I'm praying your spirit would take over my mouth. Say in this room what you want to say, nothing more and nothing less. And give your people, um, God, your, your, the, the bride of Christ, give them uh, eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to say today to your church. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So uh, Monday morning of just this, this past week, I was walking out the back door of our house to take Langston and Riggs to school. We live right next to the office, and we were parked at the office. And so I'm walking out of that back door, and the boys are following along right behind me. And I get out of the door, and I look to the left uh, into the grass, really close to the driveway that runs in between our two houses, and uh, to the office in our house. And uh, I see this ginormous rat. I mean, this thing is, it's a monster. And uh, it, was, it was moving uh, really slow. It was like something was wrong with it. It was like it had gotten into some poison or something, or it had been uh, attacked, or uh, I'm not exactly sure. But it was dragging its feet, like, as it walked. And um, Langston Riggs, of course, like the little boys they are, they just take off after the thing. And... Uh, it's moving so slow, like my boys aren't fast and they could have caught it. Like that's how slow. And I'm like, hey, you got to stop. We got we to get to school. We're running late. And so they leave it alone. It runs up on that little hill right behind the driveway. And that's where we leave it, get in the, to get in the car, take it to school. Then I get back to our house and just a few minutes later, and uh, I go in the front door because that's, that's what you should do in that scenario. So uh, I walk in uh, the front door. Well, about uh, an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes later, it's time for me to make the long commute to the office. And so, uh, again, at about 9 o'clock, I walk out uh, my back door, uh, only this time, because I'm smart, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on the wood door, because if this thing's right outside, there's no way that I want it to run into our house. Because, like, if this thing got into our house, we'd have to sell the house. Like, that'd be the end of it, you know? I mean, it was that big. I'm talking about I would have just handed it to the key, handed it the keys and been like, you're the captain of the boat now. Like, it's yours. Take it. 
And, um, and not, that's not Bethany's problem, like, that's me. Like, I'd be like, I'm, I'm out on this thing. So I'm smarter than that. Hit on the wood a couple of times, bang, bang, hoping that if it's right out there, it would run away. And um, I, after I hit the door, I open it, and I step outside, and I'm just taking one step out, and I look to my left, and this huge hawk comes flying down, and it scoops this rat up with its talons. I mean, it like takes hold of this thing, and it flies over, and it perches in a tree back behind the neighbor's house on the other side of the church office. I, I've never seen anything cooler than that. I mean, it was awesome. Like, I don't know how something could be so majestic and so nasty all at the same time, but it was. And so, I mean, it's still, rats still like flopping around a little bit. And so I run back in the house and I'm like, I got to Bethany's got to see this. I'm like, Beth, Beth, you got to go check this out. I come to the window. But by the time that she got to the window, it was gone. Now, <laughs> I, I hate rats. Like, I really do. I hate rats. I hate, I hate mice. I hate, I hate most rodents in general because, uh, to me, uh, they just make me feel dirty. Like, whenever I, whenever I see a rat or mice, it just makes the place feel dirty. Now, the only thing that I think is really good about a, a rat is that uh, they don't know how to say no. Like, rats don't know how to say no. That's the reason that if you put peanut butter on a trap or cheese on a trap or something like that, it'll eventually go after the trap. It's the reason that if you put the poison in those little mazes, eventually they'll enter the maze. Because while uh, rats are clever, they won't avoid temptation forever. Uh, Rats don't know how to say no, and so often that's what gets them in trouble. In the book of Titus, uh, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul uh, told Titus that one of the benefits of the grace of God is that it teaches believers to say no. That one of the benefits that comes along with God's grace is that it teaches believers to say no. As odd as it might sound, uh, being able to say no is evidence of grace upon our lives. Being able to say no to ungodliness being able to say no to worldly passions, this is evidence of grace. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach on these verses. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody talk about this, but something about the supernatural love of God and the grace that he has extended to us should equip us to be able to say no to temptation, no to sin, no to wickedness, and no to the desires of our flesh. The pastor, Erwin Lutzer, said this. He said, without God, there would be no reason for people to say no to anything. Without God, there'd be no reason for people to say no to anything. Essentially, the point he's trying to make here is that without God, without grace, we'd be like rats chasing the cheese. We'd be just like the rats going after the, the peanut butter, unable to avoid the traps, just constantly looking to indulge our next pleasure, uh, constantly looking to consume the poison. But the grace of God, thanks be to God, teaches us to say no. That's what sets us apart from the rodents. For me, it's helpful to think about it like this. When grace comes, it comes with both a yes and a no. When grace enters our lives, it comes with both a yes and a no, and this is what I mean. So 
Uh, Y'all have heard me talk many times now about my salvation experience. I was uh, saved at a little church in Mainville, Milan Baptist Church. It's the church on the left, about halfway between here and uh, and Mainville. I was saved at a vacation Bible school. And it was a Friday night, and the pastor was sharing the gospel. Man, the whole time he was talking, something was, I had a fire burning inside me. Like, I know now that it was the Spirit, but the Spirit was compelling me. It's like, you got to go. You got to go up to the altar. You got to confess. You got to ask to be saved. You got to let go of some stuff. And, and, and you got to be baptized. Like, that's, that's where this thing is headed. And I knew within me I had to do it. But at the same time, I was hearing that voice. I also heard the voice of the opposition. And the, the opposition was saying, you know, you, you don't need to go up there. I mean, Brock, you're already emotional. Like, if you go up there... Think about how silly you're going to look in, in front of your friends. Uh, he's going, you, you don't need to walk out. It's like, it's like you, you don't need to move. Uh, the other voice is saying, you don't need to move. You're, you're just confused. But love prevailed that day. And I felt the grace of God wash over me. And as I felt God's grace enter, it came with both a yes and a no. It was a yes to the Spirit and a no to my fear, a yes to my rescuer, and a no to the accuser. It was a yes to heaven and a no to hell. Simply put, church, when grace comes upon us, it teaches us to say yes to faith and no to the flesh. Now, maybe it's just me. But when I look out at the state of the world today, uh, I see a world where anything goes. Like a a society that has become desensitized to its own depravity. I see a a, a world where evil isn't just um, present, but it's praise. And I believe it's time for the church to reclaim the no that comes with grace. I believe it's time for the church to reclaim a no to ungodliness, a no to worldly passion. I mean, when we look out at the world, we certainly see some things that we know would be unacceptable to God. And when we look in our hearts, we see sin that we know would be unacceptable to God. And corporately, I think we need to regain our voice that occasionally says to the world, hey, I don't think God would like this, and then personally, we need to occasionally be saying, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. The grace of God has taught me not to do that. A church that doesn't know how to say no morally will be rendered ineffective globally because there is an inherent connection between our power and our purity. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Okay. Paul said first that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The Greek word that gets translated to ungodly there in the New Testament is the word asabia. And asabia means to make a mockery of the gods. Like in ancient Greece, if uh, God's little g, of course. In ancient Greece, if you knew there was something that the gods didn't like or didn't want you to do it, and you did it, you were committing asabia, which was actually in the ancient world a punishable crime. Like if you intentionally went against what the gods wanted, you could be thrown in prison. Now, 
Paul uses the term here to say that grace gives us the ability to say no to the things that our God doesn't like. Like grace, when grace comes upon us, it comes with a yes and a no, and part of the no is that it gives us the ability to say no to the things that our God doesn't like, to say no to things that dishonor him. Francis Chan, in his latest book, Until Unity, I think he gives us a helpful way to to think about this. He says that recently he has found he and his family praying often these words. And if you're uh, a note taker, I'd encourage you to write this prayer down because I really do think it's a pretty great prayer to pray. And it's not my words, they're his. But he's been praying this. He's been praying, God, help me feel what you feel. God, help me feel what you feel. Which uh, on one level uh, certainly means Uh, God, help me see the world the way that you see it. Help me love people the way that you love them. Help me to say yes to the things that you say yes to. But on uh, another very distinct level, it also means, uh, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. Help me grieve for the sin that's in the world and that's certainly in my life. Help me to say no to the things that you say no to. God, help me feel what you feel. Help me to love what you love and to hate what you hate. Now, it might surprise some of you, church, but the scripture seems pretty clear. Like, there are some things that our God hates. Mark and I preached a series on it like eight years ago. Proverbs chapter 6, we'll look at it right now. Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. This is what the text says. This is from the ESV. Listen to how clear and poignant these words are. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. You want to know the kind of things that we should be saying no to, church? We should be saying no to snobbery. The church shouldn't feel like a middle school cafeteria where nobody knows where they're supposed to sit. We should be saying no to self-righteousness, no to dishonesty, no to the people in our lives who either intentionally or unintentionally are trying to lead us astray, no to temptation, No to division. Why? Because the Bible seems very clear our God doesn't like these things. And if God doesn't like them, not only does he not like them, but in the grace that he has imparted to us, he has given us the ability to not like the same things he doesn't like. He has made it to where we can say no to ungodly things. I have one more thing I want to say about this, and then I'm going to move on. Here it is. God's appetite doesn't change. God's appetite doesn't change. This is all I mean by that, okay? Um, My appetite has changed. Like, uh, when I was a kid, like, little cute young Brock, he didn't like broccoli. Full-grown Brock, as you can tell, loves him some broccoli. I'm all about vegetables. (laughs) That was not a joke in any way. It was nothing. Uh, The younger me didn't like coffee. I love coffee now because there were things that used to I didn't like, but now I like them. God's not built like me. God's not built like us. 
Like, his appetite hasn't changed. There is nothing that used to, he didn't like, and then now he likes it. Like, if 2,000 years ago, God did not like haughtiness, he still doesn't like haughtiness. If he didn't like lying, he still doesn't like lying. I mean, the Bible's clear. Our, our God hasn't changed, same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that doesn't mean that our understanding of him can't change. Of course it does. As we learn more about him through prayer and through his teaching, our minds are going to shift a little bit, but the truth is God's appetite doesn't change. Things he hated 2,000 years ago, he still hates them. Things he hated 6,000 years ago, he still hates them. And the problem with this is that so much of what masquerades as Christianity today, like what I would refer to as cultural Christianity, is a bunch of former Christians, like deconstructionists, these faux Christian celebrities who are trying to convince people that God has a new appetite. That somehow the, the morals that held up so long that, that the line has moved, that now, for whatever reason, God is okay with things that he didn't used to be okay with. But let me caution you, church, if the Bible says something is bad, don't let this world convince you that it's good. If the Bible says something's bad, don't let the world convince you that it's good. Do you know how arrogant people have to be to believe that they can widen a road that Jesus has already told us in the book of Matthew chapter 7 is narrow. Like, you know how arrogant you have to believe to believe that you're like one human that knows God better than he knows himself, knows him better than, you know, 2,000 years of commentary in history, and you go, no, I mean, he's definitely, his appetite's changed. Like, he, I know he never liked that before, but guess what? He likes that now. And listen, I, there are a lot of things that the world's saying yes to that the church should be saying no to. A lot of things the world's saying yes to, the church should be saying no to. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have an open mind. I think we should. I think we should always be prepped to change. I'm not saying we shouldn't have, have an open mind, but I am saying we better always have an open book. Book better all, this is the funnel. When the world tries to tell us, hey, this is God's appetite change, I'm going, no, I don't think, like, I just read Proverbs, I'm not sure that his appetite, I think, I think he's still got this, I, I still don't think he likes broccoli. Paul said, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Second thing Paul says is that the grace of God teaches us to say no to worldly passions. The grace of God teaches us to say no to worldly passions. The Greek word that gets translated there in the text to passion is the word epithemia. Epithemia. And epithemia can best be described as the lust of the flesh. A desire for worldly things. Uh, a passion for poison. Paul is saying here that the grace of God gives us the ability to say no to the things that God doesn't like and also to say no to the things that our flesh likes. I want you to see that distinction because I think when he talks about ungodliness, when he talks about worldly passion, I think he's covering everything. He's saying, you know, some, ungodly, sometimes it's okay, we, we're going to need to say no to the sins that we see in the world. And certainly we're going to have to say no to the things in our flesh that, that are trying to kill us. So the desires that are in our flesh, the lust of the flesh, the things that are trying to kill us. God's grace has given us the ability, teaches us to say no. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Paul speaks to what he refers to as the desires of the flesh. I want you to listen to some of these things that should come up behind me. This is what the text says. Paul wrote, But I say, 
Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Listen, church. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, one of my favorite things about this passage of Scripture and Paul's words here is just how comprehensive the text is. I mean, if you read through these verses slowly, like really take your time, most likely you're going to see your sin in there. I mean, if you're like really of a scoundrel of a person, you might find yourselves in there two or three times, you know. Uh, I, I know I, I certainly did. But Paul speaks here in this text to the things that have a tendency to enslave us, to the types of sin that most often take us captive. He wrote about sexual sin. He wrote about adultery, about jealousy, about enmity, about anger, about envy, and about drunkenness. These are what he calls the desires of the flesh. And for me, what makes Paul's words here so intriguing is just how real he is. Like when Paul speaks about the desires of the flesh, he's saying it might not make sense, but for some reason, our flesh, we like these things. Like some of us like the feeling we get when we get angry. Some of us like the feeling that we get when we are jealous. Some of us like the feeling we get when we indulge in sexual immorality. Some of us like the feeling that we get when we're drunk. You know, church, it is a scary thing when you find the sin that when you indulge in it, it makes your whole body feel warm. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like when you find the thing, because the, the thing that's so scary about that is that means you found your poison. Like you found, you found the thing that Satan is, is using to try and trap you. It's a sure sign that you're hooked. And here's the warning. If you aren't careful, if you don't learn how to say no to the desires of the flesh, one day the poison's going to get you. One day the poison's going to get you. One day you're going to be like the, the rat in my backyard who got into the poison or who, who experienced the attack, just wandering around alone back there and vulnerable, just waiting for Satan to swoop in and to, to take hold. And these aren't my words. This is the way that the Apostle Paul says it. When he closes out this list, he's like, these are the desires of the flesh. Boom, boom, boom. Let me cover every sin that you might, every part, let me make sure that at Whitestone, every person knows I'm talking about your sin. He then says this in verse 21. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How sobering is that? This idea that if we have these struggles and we can never get past them, if we have these temptations that we constantly succumb to, that eventually they'll lead us totally astray. Eventually they'll leave us out on our own, trapped, 
ready for attack. Church, by the grace of God, you have been granted the ability to say no to the flesh. Listen to me. You are not powerless against temptation. You're not. All of heaven is on your side. I've been doing this now. I've been a minister now for for 20 years, preaching for at least like 16 or 17 uh, of those years. And I want to tell you this morning, church, I have never felt as compelled to teach a message as I, as I felt to preach this one today. I wanted to talk about Palm Sunday. Like, that's what I want. I wanted to talk about Jesus riding in on the donkey, and we're prepping. And the whole time, when I read this text a couple of weeks ago, where it's like, no, the grace of God teaches us to say no, it's like, I haven't been able to let go of that. Like, something about that, the Spirit's just been in me going, hey, you got to talk about that, and you got to talk about it this Sunday. Mark will tell you, he came to me earlier in the week, and he's like, hey, if you want to preach Easter, I'll preach this week. And I was like, I can't. I've got a word that I'm supposed to share this week, and I'm going to share it. And here's why I think that God may have compelled me to the point to where you're hearing this message today, because I believe somebody in the room is saying yes to some things that you know you're supposed to be saying no to. I think there's somebody here who you've gotten to the point when it comes to your temptation that you've just surrendered to it. You've just just turned yourself over. In your mind, you've just thought, hey, this is the thing that I'm not going to, I can't beat this. And if that's you, like if you're looking for a sign today to change, man, this is your sign. The power that is in you, the grace of God that has been bestowed upon you is more powerful than that which tempts you. When grace entered your life, it came with both a yes and a no, a yes to the faith and a no to the flesh. And whoever you are, whether you're watching on video or whether you're in the room right now, I want you to know that God sees you and he loves you enough to call you out on your sin. And today's the day to bring the no back. It's okay to say no to some things. It's okay to say no to some people. It's okay to say no to ungodliness. And it's certainly necessary to say no to our flesh because the desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, these are things that are trying to kill us. It's poison. And you're in a really unhealthy place if you found the poison that seems like it works for you. The grace of God teaches us to say no to worldly passions. In a world steeped in sexual sin, it's okay for us to say no and to desire purity. In a world that is constantly unsatisfied, it's okay for us to say no and to run after contentment. In a world where a lot of people make a lot of money by being divisive and through division, it's okay for us to say no and to desire unity. The grace of God gives us the power to say no to worldly passions. There's a saying that I think gets tossed around a lot in the church these days, and, and I, I've said it, like I'm, I'm sure that I have said it before, and I don't completely have a problem with it, but uh, how many of you have heard somebody say, you know, the church should be known for what it's for and not what it's against? How many of you have heard somebody say that before? The church should be known for what it's for and not what it's against. And while I think it's a, it is a, an interesting thing to say, and I can certainly see why People would say it, especially when you're combating the legalism of the 80s and the, the 1980s and the 1990s. I do think that it's a little bit misleading because I actually think our churches should be known for what we're for 
and what we're against. Like what I'm saying to you today is, I think, I think we're supposed to live on mission and have convictions. Like I think that's okay. I think we're supposed to serve other people, but we're also to have some truths that we stand on. And we say, we believe these things. And I was talking to Cody about this in the back in between services. And this is something that Cody and I, you know, I know that we struggle with personally because I want people to like me. And Cody wants people to like him. And so I think we're really cautious sometimes when it comes to, you know, taking stances that, that may make us look a, a certain way, you know, a, certainly to a fault. And Cody said, well, well, what happens, you know, when we go too far that way and we burn some bridges, you know? And I'm like, Cody, maybe some bridges are meant to be burned. Like, like maybe, maybe, maybe there's some bridges that are, are meant to be burned. I think it's a crazy idea, but I think the church is supposed to be on mission and have conviction. I think that's what it means to feel what God feels, to love what he loves, and to hate what he hates. I'm praying for all of you today that you would be infused with the Holy Spirit power, the grace of God. You would be reminded that you have within yourself the ability to say no, no to ungodly things, and no to the desires of your flesh. Pray with me. I'm done. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, God, recognizing there is a connection between our purity and our power. Help us to know, it's like being a parent, help us to know what battles we're supposed to fight and which ones we're supposed to let go. Help us to know the stances that we're supposed to take and the ones that we're not. But God, when we read in your word, takes like Proverbs 6, or when Paul talks about the desires of the flesh, and if there are things that you clearly don't like, we want to not like those things too. Show us how to say no when we need to say no, whether that be to an ungodly world or to our ungodly selves. Restore, bring back, let us reclaim the power of the no that comes with grace. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.